we're in John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 14, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, John is referring to himself and the other disciples, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're looking not at all of John, but at people who encountered Jesus Christ in John. What is a Christian? A Christian isn't somebody who has taken up religion. Uh, like you take up any other religion, you take up Christianity. That's not a Christian. Christianity is not religion. It's about a relationship with this unique person. Only begotten is one and only. There is none like Jesus Christ. He's unique. We'll see why in a moment. And a Christian is a person who comes to believe in Jesus Christ and then has a real relationship with him. The person we're going to look at this morning is John himself. He says, I, we, saw Jesus Christ. And John had the privilege, he lived 2,000 years ago, and he saw Jesus Christ in the flesh, as we say, uh, as a person, as we would see one another. But that is not what John is referring to here. There were many people who encountered Jesus Christ like that, but they did not have a saving encounter with him. And that's what makes a Christian, whether it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was in this world, in the flesh, or whether it's today, we have a relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. This is what we are about. We've come here this morning to worship God. We are uh, right with God because of Jesus Christ. When God created this universe, it was paradise. And our first parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, had a relationship with God. They walked with God and God talked to them. And then something horrible happened. We call it sin. And it was rebellion against God. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And the fall happened. Sin destroyed everything. And this world's in the state it's in today because of sin. And that's why we've got war. That's why we've got disease. That's why we've got all the heartache and the brokenness in society. And that's why we've got death. And one day we will all have to die. But God has done something. He sent Jesus Christ to open the way back to paradise. Paradise was lost, but paradise can be regained in Jesus Christ. That's what John is talking about. Uh, we sang, didn't we? Isn't it a great hymn that? Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. This plan that God has to open the way back to heaven. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disband at 
Calvary. It's not what we do that can make us right with God, that can span that chasm, that gulf. It's what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. So all I want us to do this morning is look at the blueprints of this plan of salvation. That's what John gives us in this verse. He doesn't talk about how he encountered Jesus. He's more interested about the Jesus he did encounter. And if you asked many of us who have come to believe in Jesus Christ this morning how it happened, we'll all have different stories to tell. But it's the same person, the same person. And I want us to look at that wonderful person, that unique person, these blueprints of the plan of salvation. And we'll just look at each phrase in this magnificent verse. It's a short verse, but it's a big verse when you think about what it's about. First, John talks about the word. The word. What's this? It's not just uh, the word as in words that we use to communicate. This is the word with a capital W. This in the Greek is the logos. What was that? Well, before Jesus was born, you had some of the greatest philosophers this world has ever seen in Greece. Plato, Aristotle, this was the height of human cleverness. Uh, If you're thinking of trying to find the answer to life, the universe, and everything, then the flowering period of Greek philosophy before the birth of Jesus Christ, that was it. And all these great philosophers, they were looking for the Logos to come. Uh, Some of them believed it was a concept. Others believed it was some uh, reason uh, that held the universe together. They were all looking for this Logos. And you know what the Bible tells us? In the wisdom of God, the world by its own wisdom knew not God. It doesn't matter how many letters you may have after your name, how clever you are, you won't find God that way. What John is saying is, look, you philosophers, (laughs) what you've been looking for, the Logos, the Word, it's come. And it's not a concept. And it's definitely not a number. I can't remember what the number was in uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. It's not a number. It's a person. A person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This person was with God from eternity. And this person, this Word, was God. It's a person. That's the answer. And it doesn't matter how uh, clever or not we may be. It's this person that we need. This person, Jesus Christ. Do you know what John says about him? The word became flesh. He doesn't say the word became a man. He's shocking his readers by saying the word became flesh. Flesh. 
What is flesh in the Bible? It can mean all sorts of things, but the meaning here is flesh and blood. Uh, Believe it or not, I'm here in the flesh this morning. You're here in the flesh this morning. If you're listening on Zoom, you're not here in the flesh. (laughs) And what John is saying is that this person, Christ, He wasn't born 2,000 years ago. You uh, will see outside some churches, the millennium is the birthday of Christ. No, no, he wasn't born 2,000 years ago, Christ. Christ was with God. He was the second person of the Trinity. He is God from eternity. What happened 2,000 years ago is that God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became one of us. He was born in Bethlehem, a real baby. And John says, it's flesh. Flesh. Uh, the, the word in Latin is carnis. Incarnation. The, the uh, word becoming flesh. Um, if you like your Mexican, chili con carni. It's the same word. Uh, chili with flesh. <laughs> Not human flesh. <laughs> Although some places uh, you go to, you sometimes wonder what the meat dishes are. (laughs) And he dwelt amongst us. What does that mean? Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus Christ, the God-man, was a real human being, flesh, remember now John is trying to shock us, then he really was in the flesh. Uh, You know, you see some of these artworks and they portray Jesus, uh, the baby Jesus in the manger, and there's a halo over his head. It wasn't like that. He, He was a real baby. Now, we've had some babies born recently, and it's great having them in the service, but you know that they're here because they're crying. Now, that's what Jesus Christ would have been like. Uh, Somebody uh, was uh, sharing. They'd become a father for the first time, and they were sharing with me the trauma of having to be there with their wife giving birth. And it's not for nothing that the Bible talks about the travail of birth. And so the birth of Jesus Christ, it it was something that that was uh, a trauma, for Mary to have to go through. And the baby that was born, it would have cried. It would have needed to be changed. It uh, would have uh, had to grow up. And then when we think of the range of human experience that Jesus Christ went through, he dwelt amongst us. He had a real experience of life. And so he knew what it was like to have to go to school. I don't know what kind of schools they would have had in Nazareth, but Jesus Christ, he wasn't, even though he was the son of God, he wasn't brought up in the royal palace in Jerusalem. Oh no, he dwelt in a backwater place called Nazareth. And he had a normal life. He would have lived in the equivalent of a terrace house. I remember going to Nazareth a few years ago. And the place uh, that, according to tradition, that Jesus uh, grew up in, it's just not a posh place, right? And he would have gone to school and 
later on, he would have become a teenager. He would have known the angst of becoming a teenager. A teenager would have had hormones in those days as well as today. Jesus Christ was in the flesh. Whatever we go through as human beings, Jesus Christ went through, apart from one thing, sin. Never once did he fall into sin. Never once. But he was tempted in all points. In all points. As we are yet without sin. And then you can carry on, can't you? Uh, he would have been a young adult. He lived until he was 33 years old. So he went through uh, life's experience. Even as a young adult, he would have experienced illness in the family. Uh, he would have known uh, bereavement in the family. His father, earthly father, Joseph, would have died uh, before he got to manhood. We don't read about him later on. He would have experienced disappointment. He would have experienced rejection. Uh, whatever you're facing this morning, this is what I'm trying to say. Whatever age you are, Jesus Christ has been through the full range of human experience. Aren't you glad? I know of no one like Jesus Christ. He's unique. He's God. He's 100% God. And yet he's 100% human. Yes, he's so big. There's nothing that he cannot do. But at the same time, he's so gentle, so approachable. Nothing is too small for him. I've still got hair at my age. And Jesus says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Isn't that amazing? Now, the word here for dwelt amongst us, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, is tabernacled amongst us. Now, you need to know a bit of your Old Testament here. I read from Exodus chapter 40 for this reason. The children of Israel in the desert, as they were traveling from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land, they were told to build a tent, a tabernacle. Uh, so I don't know if you young people from Newton, are, are you camping down here? No, you're not camping. Oh, you're staying at the farm. Yeah. All of you. Right, well, it must be much bigger than I uh, thought it was. <laughs> I thought you were camping. Well, the tent here was not like your normal tent today. It would have been ugly to look at. It would have been made from animal skins, goat hair. So not a beautiful, colourful tent. But this is the point. That's where God was. So if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to one place, the tabernacle, the tent. It's quite amazing, really. The tent wasn't much to look at. And yet that's where the God of the universe made his dwelling place. The children of Israel weren't much to look at. They were just a motley crew. And yet God was amongst them. And, you know, we are not much to look at. I hope I'm not being... <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not being rude, am I saying that? We're a motley crew. But God is in the midst of his people. Do you know when people saw Jesus Christ, do you know what they saw? Somebody who looked 50. 
He was only 30. Isaiah wrote about him. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like the tents. Nothing much to look at, but God was in that place. And Jesus Christ, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. But there's not much to see with the normal sights. But John says, he wasn't much to look at, but we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. You know what the word glory means? Something is glorious. I don't know what the most glorious sight you've had is. Um, since you've come from North Wales, I'm from North Wales, so I'm biased as well. But when I'm thinking of the castles we have in Wales, the most glorious castles aren't in South Wales, are they? They're with you in North Wales, Carnarvon, Conwy, Harlech, and they're glorious to look at. Uh, when I was um, in Rome uh, a few months ago, standing in St. Peter's Square and looking at the cathedral there. A glorious sight. But what is glorious about Jesus Christ when he was here on earth? John says, we beheld his glory. What did John see? John saw a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I don't think if you were transported 2,000 years ago to Nazareth, I don't think you would have spotted Jesus in a crowd. I don't think there was anything distinctive about him in his appearance that would have made us say, ah, that is the Son of God. What did John see? Outwardly, what did John see? He saw a man that was from a working-class background, his father was a carpenter. He was going into the family business. What did John see? John saw a man who started off in the ministry and he didn't have any money. He didn't have a place to stay. What did John see? He saw a man that performed his first miracle in a wedding in a really obscure place called Cana. If you don't believe me, go to Galilee. Cana is really out in the sticks. What did John see? He saw a man that gathered followers around him, not a huge number by the standards of those times. What did John see? He saw a man that lived and preached in Galilee. Can any good thing come from Galilee? Uh, it was like a hole in the Holy Land, like, you know, Blaineifestinjog is a hole in Snowdonia National Park. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, hardly went to the capital city, Jerusalem. Jesus Christ didn't really have much to do about the temple and the religious leaders there. He was just an ordinary man in an ordinary place. Gathering followers. What did John see? Later on, he saw the religious leaders plotting against Jesus, wanting to do away with him. What did John see? John saw a man coming to the end of his earthly life and being abandoned, not just by his followers, but by his closest disciples. What did John see? He saw a man hanging on a cross, the cruelest form of execution ever devised, 
What kind of cross was it? It wasn't something glorious. It was an old, rugged cross. What did John see? He didn't see glory, did he? Strider. Have you ever read Lord of the Rings? One of the greatest characters there is Strider. Strider, he was known at first, but then he became Aragon, the king. And this is what was said of Strider. All that is gold does not glitter. All that is gold does not glitter. How much true was that of Jesus Christ, the king, the king of kings? So come back to the tabernacle again, to the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. If you wanted to meet with God, you had to go there. It didn't look like much from the outside, and you weren't allowed into the holiest of all, the very uh, center of the tabernacle. Only one person was allowed in there, and that was the high priest once a year. And if you would have gone into the holiest of all, you would have had the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of the law. And above the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. We'll come to that in a moment. And over the mercy seats, the two cherubims looking down. And the high priest could only go in once a year. And he could only go in by sprinkling the blood of a sacrifice upon the mercy seats. And it was because of that blood that was sprinkled that that high priest was accepted. And then the high priest would sprinkle that blood on the people and they were accepted. So there was only one place you could know God, the tabernacle. And it was only because of the shedding of blood that there was a way back to God. And do you know what filled that tabernacle? As a result of the blood being sprinkled upon the mercy seat, over and above the mercy seat, there was a cloud. It was a pillar of cloud by day. It was a pillar of fire by night, as we had in Exodus 40. That cloud wasn't just any cloud. That cloud was the Shekinah glory. That cloud was nothing less than the glory of God. Not human glory, but the glory, the weight of divine glory. Have you ever felt it? No one can see God and live because we're sinners. But the blood cleanses us from sin. And believing in Jesus Christ, we can have access to God and we can know him. It's not a tabernacle that we need to go to now. It's the person of Jesus Christ. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it's not the sacrifices that were performed not just once a year, but twice a day, lambs were slain, blood was shed in order to teach the people that without shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But now there's no need for a sacrifice because the one and only sacrifice was done 2,000 years ago. When John saw Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, it was none other than the Lamb of God being sacrificed for the sins of John and for the sins of you and me and for the sins of the world. And do you know where God's glory was shown more than anywhere else? Yes, there were glimpses of it in Jesus' earthly ministry, especially on the Mount of Transfiguration. But that glory was really shown on the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my sin rolled away. And Jesus rose from the dead. 
Death couldn't contain him because Jesus died for our sins on the cross. The wages of sin is death. Death had been broken. The hold had been broken. And Jesus rose from the grave after three days. And he rose to glory. And he's in glory now. He's in heaven. There's a man in heaven now, Jesus Christ. And you know, he's saying, come to me, believe in me. There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to have a hope through this life to have Jesus Christ as somebody who can come alongside you and then when you have to die to be able to say, I know where I'm going. I know that it is well with my soul. Then Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way. And do you know what he's doing now? He's not just inviting us, but in his word, he's commanding us. And you know, he sends his spirits. When I came to believe in him, when I was a student a long time ago, by the Holy Spirit, I saw, I would have heard about Jesus from my youth. I was brought up in chapel. I heard about him in chapel in Sunday school, but I didn't know him. I hadn't encountered him until the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and then I saw I saw not with my physical eyes but with the eye of faith that especially on that cross Jesus Christ did what I couldn't do he died so that I could be forgiven he died to make me good that I can go at last to heaven saved by his precious blood and children teenagers young adults middle-aged people Older people, those of you who are coming to the end of your life, this is the same Jesus that we all need. And this is Christianity. This is life. To know thee, the true God, and him whom thou hast sent, Jesus Christ. I must come to a conclusion. But John says something right at the end, doesn't he? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Two words, grace and truth. Do you know what grace means? Undeserving favor. Undeserving favor. Think of somebody giving you a gift. Every two or three years, my parents give me a car. I don't deserve it because I scratch it. Undeserving. Undeserving. And we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve to know God. But God lavishes this gift upon us. Again, what did we sing? Oh, the love. It was love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace, undeserving favor, that brought it down to man. There was grace in the Old Testament. But there was still law. You were still told, unless you obey, you will die. But in Jesus Christ, it's grace from beginning to end. Jesus is full of grace. If you think you don't deserve God's favor, then you just have to say, well, I don't. No one does. And it doesn't matter how sinful we may be. Jesus' grace is greater. It's bigger uh, if you think of Jesus' grace, I often use this illustration, as a reservoir. 
Um, I, I don't know, is Llyn Clywedog near you in Newtown? It's a huge lake, isn't it? I don't know if the water level in Llyn Clywedog went down over the droughts in the summer, but the reservoirs in the Brecon Beacons, they, they were half empty. They were half empty. And we tend to think sometimes, don't we, of the grace of Jesus Christ as going down and down. The more people draw on it, the more sinful we may be, the more the level of grace goes down. But it's not like that. The grace of Jesus Christ is infinite. Our God is so big. He's so big in all of his attributes. But when we consider his grace, he's ginormous. This is his greatest crowning attributes. You'll never empty the reservoir of grace. You'll never. It doesn't matter who you are this morning, how bad you are, Jesus Christ can save you. His grace can cover all your sin. And then truth. What's this? Well, in the Old Testament, there was truth there, but it was all sign language. The tent, the tabernacle, was a sign of Jesus Christ, the tent, the body of Christ. The animal sacrifices were just symbols of the sacrifice, Jesus Christ on the cross. So truth in its fullness is in Jesus Christ. Well, I'll finish there, but have you encountered him? Can you say with John, we, I, have beheld in Jesus of Nazareth not just an ordinary person, but the God-man, the one who came into this world to die on a cross, to die for my sins, so that I cannot just be forgiven, but know God. Know God. Come to him. Come to him. Don't wait. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. And if you do believe in him, I want to emphasize that little word, glory. John uses glory more than any other uh, writer. Glory. You know, when the glory of God came down in the tabernacle, the priests would say, glory, glory. What I long for our little church is that as this Jesus Christ is declared by myself and by Andy and by Nathan, that we would not just preach him with all the plainness and the directness that we long for, but that glory would come so that we would say, glory, glory. May God encounter each one of us. May we encounter him. And may we know, not just you here and others like yesterday hearing about Jesus, but may we know him coming down by his spirits. We're going to sing now, Jesus, lover of my soul. He really loves, he really does. And then one stanza says, plenteous grace with thee is found. Grace to cover all my sin. And it's number... 514 in the hymn book.
Father, we just praise Thee for Jesus Christ, that He is the answer to all of our needs. And we praise Thee that, believing in Him, we have life, and life in its fullness. And, O oh Lord our God, may every one of us here come to believe as we are in Jesus Christ and know the life of God in our hearts. Now let us pray together the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.